Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. If you know Christ as Savior, and maybe even if you don't, you probably have a longing inside of you for real Christianity. And you know what I mean by it, right? In other words, Christianity that, that isn't just going through the motions. In the, uh, one of Paul's letters, when he talks about the, the way that at later date that Christians would fall away from the Lord, he, he described them as having a form, an outward form of godliness. But in their lives, they denied the power of it. In other words, there was no substance to it, right? It's all on the outside. How many of you would say that you have either participated in, been a part of, or you have seen religion? When you look at it, it looks like it's, it's just all outside, that there's no substance to it underneath. Anybody? Yeah. And that isn't what we want, is it? It's not what we want. We have a longing for something more that God has put into us. For Christianity, it's real and vibrant. And so that, that as we, it's, it isn't just about go to another church service, read another verse, uh, do some good deed. It, it isn't about that. It's, it's where it's, it's real, it's dynamic, that we have a, a relationship with God that, that somehow or other shows up in our life and where God shows up. Really, I think that that's, Boy, I think about that. For all my growing up years in the religion that I was in, um, Christian, and I, I, I guess I, I left it when I was 19 years old, 18 years old, but the point is, I never remember God showing up. You know what I mean? We sang the songs, we had the sermons, we did stuff, but God never showed up. And um, what's it mean when God shows up? Well, I I don't quite know how to categorize this, but I I do have this sense that as I read the Bible and I read the New Testament and I read what happened there, I read the Old Testament, I read what happened there, that somehow rather, if, if, if this is real, what we're experiencing is real, we ought to at some point in time see the power of God, shouldn't we? And so we ask the question, where is the power of God? It's easy for us, even as Christians, to, to be going through this life. We generally know the Lord, but we can find ourselves just living in a certain way, going through the motions, doing this stuff. And, and every now and then we start to realize, wow, something seems like it's missing. And we start to, where is God's power? What's, you know, what's, what am I missing here? And so we want that. And, and what we want to do today is to look in God's word and see that there is a, a principle, a, a truth that is going to address how it is that our, our relationship with God can be such that we do see and experience the reality of God, the power of God in our lives. So let's, let's go to our Bibles and turn to the book of one that you read every week, I'm sure. Second Chronicles. First and Second Kings talk about the kings of, uh, of Judah and Israel, and the Second Chronicles is, a, is in many ways parallel accounts of the same kinds of things. 
and his stories about uh, the kings that ruled either Israel or Judah. And so for those of you who may not know, there was a time uh, probably about uh, 900 years before the time of Christ, maybe 1,000 years, someplace in that vicinity where there was a civil war in Israel, what we know as Israel, and it became two countries, the northern country with uh, 10 tribes and they still called them Israel and then the southern tribes were called Judah. Judah and Benjamin but usually referred to as Judah. Okay so we have different kings of these groups and the king we want to look at today is a king in Judah uh, which would have been Jerusalem and uh, so let's start in Second uh, Chronicles chapter 14. That's page 507 in the Bible. I, I started to say it's in the pew. It's in the chair, under the chair, it's in the pew. Page 507, if you don't have a Bible with you, we encourage you to take one of those and follow along with us. And this king's name is Asa, King Asa. And we want to start in verse number 8, chapter 14, verse number 8. And Asa, by the way, was one of the few kings that's listed as being a good king. He wasn't a perfect king. He had a falling out with God later in life. But he, he was overall a good king. Starting in verse number 8, it says, And Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah who carried shields and spears, and from Benjamin 280,000 men who carried shields and drew bows, so archers. All these were mighty men of valor. So he has 580,000 soldiers in his army. Verse 9, Then Zerah the Ethiopian came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots. And he came to Marishah. But so now the, the Ethiopians with their king Zerah, they, they come out to do battle with Judah to fight against them. Now, how do you like those odds? Judah has 580,000 soldiers and no heavy armor. And the Ethiopians are coming with a million people and these chariots, which we would consider heavy armor, all right? The odds do not look good, do they? Okay, you, if, you, if you were going to bet on that, you'd bet on the Ethiopians, all right? So let's continue reading. Verse 10, so Asa went out against him, and they set the troops in battle array in the valley of Zephathah at Marashah. And Asa cried out to the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing for you to help. In other words, it's, it's no big deal for you to help God. You can do this. It is nothing for you to help, whether with many or with those who have no power. Like us, he's saying, right? Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on you. And in your name we go against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. And so Asa sees this as, as here we are, we are God's people, and this, the enemy has come against us. And so really this battle isn't about us here, it's about God. And so God, we ask you to work, we ask you to intervene. It's not too hard for you, it's easy for you to do. We ask you to intervene. Don't let our enemies, your enemies prevail here. God, do something. And, and obviously, he's crying this out because he has a very much an awareness that what? That they didn't have the ability to do this. They could not, from any human perspective, win this battle. And so it made them very aware of their need 
to depend on God. So let's we'll see what happens. Verse 12. So the Lord struck the Ethiopians before Asa and Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. Now, it doesn't tell us how it does that. We don't know if it was Judah's soldiers that, that went out and attacked, and, and God just used them to, to get the victory, or if God was actually doing something in their midst, which was causing them to, to be driven back. But either way, here's this million-man army and the chariots fleeing and running from Asa and Judah. Verse 13, and Asa... And the people who were with him pursued them to Gerar, so the Ethiopians were overthrown, and they could not recover, for they were broken before the Lord and his army. So this is like a total victory, isn't it? It is a total victory, one that you could not have, looking at this with just human eyes, have foretold that this would happen, wouldn't happen. But it did. Great blessing. All right, now, we looked at this story, to, I mean, a lot of things. First of all, see, God can do what needs to be done, can't he? When we can't. And, and we ought to realize that and start to come to realize that we, we need to depend on God for more stuff, don't we? More and more, we need to grow in our dependence on God, our understanding of who he is, what he'll do, and relying upon him, trusting him, living by his word. That's how we depend on him. Okay, so we see this here, and, and God works in a great way. And that sets the stage for what we want to see over here in chapter 16. Let's turn to chapter 16 there. Now, this is considerably later in King Asa's reign. I would say he's probably gotten pretty comfortable. Boy, do you ever get comfortable in life and you look at decisions and say, well, if I make that decision, that's going to upset the apple cart in my life. It's probably where Asa was. It says, in the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Baasha, king of Israel, remember we have the two tribes, we have Judah and Benjamin in the south, and then we have Israel in the north. So in Israel, the king Baasha of Israel, he said, came up against Judah and built Ramah, that's a city, that he might let none go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. So here's what's going on. It says a major thoroughfare that people would travel if you wanted to go to Judah. And to Jerusalem. And so the king of Israel says, well, we're going to build a city, a fort there, fortifications, and we're going to stop that. We are going to begin to surround uh, Judah and not allow them, right, anybody to come or go. So it's an attack against Judah. Well, what did Asa do last time he had this kind of problem? He went out against them and said, oh, God, Right? Oh, God, here we are. You can do this. We need you to do this. We depend on you to work. And he could have stopped that by trusting in God. I want you to show you what he did instead. Then Asa brought silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord and of the king's house and sent to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who dwelt in Damascus, saying, Let there be a treaty between you and me as there was between my father and your father. See, I have sent you silver and gold. Come, break your treaty with Baasha, king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. And so if you can picture this, here we have the southern kingdom, we have Judah, we have the northern kingdom, Israel, and they are, are beginning to um, blockade Judah. It's going to create a problem. And so what Asa does is sends out, he, he brings uh, money, and not just money, but probably um, items from the temple 
from, from God's, uh, yeah, from the temple. And he, he takes that and sends it as a payment up here to Syria, who was really an ally of Israel. He says, hey, tell you what, would you, I'm sending you all this money. You break your treaty with them and you come to attack them because then they'll leave me alone. Sounds like a plan, doesn't it? Well, just based on what you know or even what you might guess, do you think Ben-Hadad was a real friend of Judah? The Syrians, were they friends of Judah? No, they weren't. They were their enemies because they were already had a treaty with Israel against them. And so he's kind of conniving on the back end, break your treaty and do this. And so where's he putting his trust? Well, it's not in God, is it? But let's look and see how this continues here. Verse 4, so Ben-Hadad heeded King Asa. He listened. And he sent the captains of his armies against the cities of Israel. They attacked Ijon, Dan, Abel, Maim, and all the storage cities of Naphtali. Now it happened when Baasha heard it, he's the king of Israel, that he stopped building Ramah and ceased his work. So, it, hey, this strategy was effective. Gets better, verse 6. Then King Asa took all Judah and they carried away the stones and timber of Ramah which Basha had used for building, and with them he built two cities, Geba and Mizpah. So they went and took all the stuff and built their own cities. The plan worked. But there's not even a mention that this was God's plan. There's not even a mention of relying on God, trusting in God. Asa handled it without depending on God. And it seemed to work. Let's read on, verse 7. And at that time, Hanani, the seer, a seer would be like a prophet, a spokesperson for God. At that time, Hanani, the seer, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, because you have relied on the king of Syria and have not relied on the Lord your God, Therefore, the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. So very clearly here, the word of God tells us that what did Asa do? Asa decided to rely on something else besides God. He relied on his own scheming. He relied on these other people. He relied on, you know, taking what rightfully belonged to God and giving it to the enemies of God to solve his problems. And you see, he says, because of this, the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. And he just told him something. Remember I told you earlier, Syria was not a friend of Judah. Syria was an enemy of Judah. And God told him right here that if he had relied on God, God would have enabled him to defeat his enemy, Syrians. But now he hasn't. He's actually what? Strengthened them by sending them all that wealth. Okay, let's read on. Verse 8. Were the Ethiopians and the Lubim not a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? That's the first story we start off with. He reminds him. Do you remember when the Ethiopians came with you with million men and, and chariots and horses? Do you remember that? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he, the Lord, delivered them into your hand. 
Okay, so we're going to read this a little bit more, but I want you to see there. There's, there's a principle or, or there's a connection here between two things. He talks about relying on God, depending on God. And then God talks about when we rely and depend and then the power of God. So there's a connection between depending on God and the power of God. Let's read a little farther here. Verse nine. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. And by loyal to him, he's talking about here this, the, the very context is when we, we recognize who God really is in our lives and we consciously, purposely choose to rely on him, choose to depend on him. That's this loyal heart that he's talking about. Instead of choosing to depend on my own mechanisms or the way the world would do it, I choose to depend on God. That's a heart that's loyal to him. And he says here that when we have a heart that's loyal to him, what's he say will happen? God will show himself strong. God will show himself strong. And so here is the connection between the power of God and depending on God. We're saying we want to see the power of God in, in our, our Christianity as we live it. Here's the connection. If you want to experience the power of God, you have to choose to depend on God. You have to choose to depend on him. That's the principle. And, and so if we want to experience the reality of God in our lives, then we've got to make choices where we, on purpose, consciously, choose to depend on God. And so here's the idea, is that we saw with Asa, and he did this when the Ethiopians came against him, and he realized, you know, I have to depend on God here, and he chose to. It's, can you imagine, uh, you trapeze artists, you go to the circus and you see the trapeze people, right? And you see the person swinging, and what do they do? They let go and turn and hope what? Why don't you go to that next pic, uh, slide if you would there, Joel, Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm going to digress for a moment. Okay. So we're talking about depending on God. What do we mean by that? We, the, the dictionary definition says it means to rely on God. It doesn't say God, but to rely upon. Go back to that. With, I'm sorry, John. My fault, John. Okay. John does such a great job each week of reading my mind. <laughs> yeah, now go to the next one. There you go. All right. This idea, depending on the dictionary, says that we, it's about relying on somebody or something. It's about trusting in someone or something or counting on somebody or something. Okay, so we get that idea. So we're talking about depending on God. We're talking about relying on him, trusting in him. But it expands the definition. One of the dictionaries did, I think, to help us understand a little better what we're talking about. We're talking about depending on God. And this is where when you need someone or something in order to survive or to be successful. We depend. Do we depend on having oxygen in the air? Do we? Yeah, we don't think about it, but we do. If it wasn't there, we're not surviving. Okay? And so that's the way it is with God in that sense. And so this is where I wanted to go and talk to you about the trapeze artist. Okay? So the trapeze artist is, is doing their thing. They're swinging, letting go, turning blind. 
depending on somebody else to what? To be there when they're supposed to be there to catch. And I know they grab too, but you see what I'm saying? That's like, when that person lets go, what are they doing? They are depending on someone else to survive, to succeed at this. It's the same kind of idea for, for rock climbers, okay? Rock climbers, use, you know, they have their, um, all their harnesses and their gear, right? And they depend on that. And it has to hold them, right? I mean, they, if, if they slip or let go, what? They are depending on that, absolutely, to save them. Well, so when we think about our relationship with God, what we're saying really is that, that we are going to depend on what God has said. We're going to depend on God that his word is true. Depend on God that he actually has told us the right ways to do this. To depend on God that he really is a good God, a faithful God who will do what he said he will do. And so we depend on God. We see this. Well, let's make the connection again. If we want to see, if we want to experience the power of God, we must choose to depend on God. Now, do you remember the story of Peter with the disciples in the boat when the storm came and Jesus came walking on the water? You remember when they were scared of, of you know, is that a ghost? Is it Jesus? Jesus says, it's me, Jesus. And then Peter says what? Hey, if it's really you, tell me to come out on the water with you. And what did Jesus say? Come. Go ahead, come. So what did Peter have to do to experience the power of God at that point? He had to depend. He had to do what? Get out of the boat. He had to take that step. Jesus said, come, get out of the boat. And he actually did walk on the water. We know that he got a little scared and started saying Jesus saved him. But he walked on the water. He had to get out of the boat to experience the power of God. Uh, Moses, when Israel gets to the Red Sea there. The Egyptians are hot on their tail. And God is, you know, uh, preventing the Egyptians coming. There. And the Red Sea is on the other side. God says, what are you waiting for? He says, lift up your rod over the Red Sea, over the sea, and I will part it. Lift up your rod and do it. What did Moses have to do? He had to stop trying to figure out, can we go here? Can we go there? And he had to stop and say, wait a minute. God said do this. I'm going to do this. And we did it. God parted the Red Sea. We have the, the Israel that has to cross the Jordan River to move into the promised land. The, the river is at flood stage. It's, it's, it's huge. And, and they have to cross it. It's not a safe time to try to ford the river. But God says, you're going to cross it. He says, I want you to go have your priest carry the Ark of the Covenant, uh, which symbolized God's presence, and, and walk. And he says this. He walk right up to the river. And he says, and when, when the soles of their feet touch the water, then... I will stop the river. But what had to happen? They had to depend on God. They didn't say, this is nuts. If we do that, how do we know this? They, no, they said, okay, we got to do it. And they did it. As soon as the soles of their feet, the Bible says, touched the water, God stopped the water and it piled up and Israel went across on dry ground. On and on, stories in the Bible we could go through. But every time people were put in that position and they had to make a choice, am I going to depend on God or not? When they chose to depend on God, they ended up experiencing 
the power of God. Do you think that they started to conclude that God is real? Do you think they began to say, wow, living this way really works? It's real? It's the real thing? Yeah, they did. Well, the same thing is available to you and I. Day in, day out, how we live. It's not always huge miracles. Sometimes it's small things. But here's the key. You and I need to make a choice to depend on God. That means that we take, we, we just ignore the distractions, okay? But we take what God says in his word seriously. Simple things about how we live our lives, how we look at life, how we make decisions in our relationships, in our finances, in our ministry, in our work, uh, every area of life. And we say, what has God said? What are the principles that apply here? And then we try to live by them. We're making a choice to depend on God. Now, here's the, the problem is we can go through a lot of that stuff just going through the motions and not really thinking about it. That's not really depending on God. Depending on God is when we look and say, but okay, here's, here's my options. I can do this or I can do what God says. And we make a choice to do what God says. We depend on him. We will experience the power of God in our lives. Now, what I'd like to do is take a few minutes here and tell you our story, my story, Glenda's story, of how he taught us this and how we began to experience and still experience it in our lives. And I'm going to uh, use this because I won't remember everything here. So I remember as, as a, a, I might have been 20 years old, 21, come to Christ, but I remember sitting in my bedroom early one morning, uh, reading my Bible, looking out the window as it was early morning, and I remember talking to God, and I said to God, okay, God, just based on what I was reading, what he's doing in my life, I, you know, I don't know what you want me to do, but I will go anywhere you want me to go. I will do anything you want me to do, whenever, wherever. That's the desire of my heart, okay? And I, I yield him. I made a decision that day to depend on him, to depend on him. And it was later, uh, I don't know if that year, next year, but there was a missions presentation that came through our church. And I remember really thinking even much more clear about the idea of maybe, maybe God wants me to go in the ministry. And I remember responding to an invitation and saying, okay, God, if you want me to go in the ministry, I'll go in the ministry. I'll do this. Missionary, pastor, I don't know. Uh, but I'll, if that's what you want, but you have to let me know. But I was making a decision at that point to depend on God. God, I will do what you said. Okay? Now, Glenda's had surrendered as well in her life. Uh, we weren't married at this point in time, but she had surrendered her life to say, God, I, I will do the same kind of thing. And she really felt that God probably wanted her to marry someone going into ministry. Okay? And so we ended up getting together, getting married. At first year of marriage, I still wasn't sure whether or not we were supposed to be uh, going into ministry or not. And so about... Uh, Late fall, I had graduated from the University of Missouri, had a degree in administration of justice. I was packing flour at General Mills at the time. Uh, and I thought, well, maybe I'm not supposed to go to ministry. Maybe I should pursue what I studied for. And I, I decided to become a probation parole officer. And in Missouri, to do that, you had to pass a civil service exam. Okay, you had to do that. You could apply for the jobs then. 
And so I was supposed to take the civil service exam like about the first week of January. And so I signed everything up. I had my pass to get into the test site and all this kind of stuff. The night before comes, before I'm going to go take this exam, and uh, I go to get the pass, get everything ready, and I cannot find the pass. Okay, we looked everywhere. My wife and I looked everywhere. I went out in the dumpster at night and went through people's garbage trying to find it. Because it's like, what? And, and so I couldn't take the test. And, and there you had to wait another six months or a year to, to do it again. And so I was really kind of downcast, but I wasn't sure what was going on. And then, I kid you not, three days later, I walked into our bedroom and there was the pass in plain sight on the dresser. That's the power of God, folks. Because we had, we had said, God, we will depend on you. We were going to go. We we're going to rely on you. You lead us. We will go. We will do. And I was trying to make the best decisions I knew how, and it wasn't where God wanted, so he stopped it in a way that I knew it was him. The power of God working. So then uh, I, I was working part-time at the church then and had an opportunity to go out to dinner with a missionary and, and the, our pastor there, a guy from Oklahoma. I still remember, don't remember his name, but he had cowboy boots on. And I remember talking to him and, and we were talking about, you know, what's God want me to do? And I, I'm kind of thinking, well, I think he probably wants me to go into ministry. I'm not sure. And he said to me, he said, well, here's the deal. He says, if you don't set a date to go, you'll never go. And what he was really telling me is if you don't decide to actually depend on God and take the step, you never will. You got to take the step, depend on God and go. And so Glenn and I talked about it, prayed about it, and, and it became clear to us that that indeed was God's decision. So we set the date and we moved. We left and we went. I went someplace, you know, not having a job, but to go to school and study for ministry. In the first year of school, when we were down there, we didn't have enough money to live. I mean, we obviously lived, okay, but you understand what I'm saying? When you're looking at a human, you say, there is no way there's enough money to live. Didn't have that much money, much less give. But yet God had, had taught us uh, through our church and through the word of God that, that we needed to be giving to him, even when we didn't feel like we had the money. And so we'd made a decision to depend on God. And so every week if we got money and whatever we got, we gave first 10% to God and we gave a little bit more as an offering and we always gave something to missions to, to reach the world for Christ. And we, just, we did it. Uh, we decided to depend on God. Now, six months after we had moved, we moved in June, so about uh, toward the end of the year, we got a, a check in the mail from the apartments that we had lived in when we first got married. Security deposit, right? Well, that makes sense. But the ish, the problem is, is that we had had a pet, I'll tell you that story sometime, had a pet that between rooms, trying to get in and out of rooms, had torn up the carpet. And so at least one room of carpet had to be replaced and probably a whole hallway and how, you know, whatever they had to do. But six months later, without anything, out of the blue, we get this security deposit. And that was from God because we didn't have any reason to think we were going to get it. And right then it made such a huge difference for us. Um, at the time, I was trying to make a living selling pots and pans, okay, cookware. And so when the semester, first semester ended there, um, we were really not doing well. 
financially, just scraping by. Uh, Glenda had her go uh, spend some time with the folks, and I went out selling cookware. One seven-day session, one ten-day session. And in that time, God prosperous enough to where I was able to catch up on all of the bills, the, the, the past due car payments, uh, pay for everything, and have enough money to get both Glenda and I back in school. The power of God. You see what I mean? But I want to try to show you, we've made decisions along the way to depend on. By the way, this is not about us. I mean, I'm telling you our story, but it's about what God did. How he honors this word and this principle is true. But we, we made decisions to depend on God. And, and then it, he, we saw the power of God show up. A man from our church came to visit us and saw what we didn't have in our house. And he came back a little while later and brought bags and bags of groceries just when we needed it most. One day a check from our former church came in the mail. We want to encourage you with this. Once again, it made needs. Now, uh, that second year, our first son was born, Joshua. We didn't have health insurance. And, and so we managed to figure out how to pay the doctor, and we did that. And then uh, by this time, I'd taken a part-time job working at Bass Pro Shops. Part-time job with a regular paycheck was more appealing than selling pots and pans on the weekends. But so we had the job, and, and we go to the hospital, Josh is born, and now they want to know how I'm going to pay. So I'm sitting having a conversation with the financial person, and, and talking about the situation, students, and she finally said, well, listen, here's the deal. She says, I, $10 a month is the minimum I can accept. I said, well, okay, well, I mean, we didn't have $10 a month. You ever been there? And, and uh, so we... I said, okay, we'll, we'll figure out how to do it. And I had forgotten it. Just, I had had a job review about uh, three or four weeks before that. And they'd said I was going to get a raise. And then I, I looked at my paycheck. And about 25 hours a week, 10 cents an hour raise. What's that work out to? $10 a month. Small thing. But it's big in my heart. The power of God. His timing, how he works in these things. And I could continue and go on and on and on how we, we chose to depend on God when we moved up here with no money, how God provided a job at Boston Baptist College, how our second baby, Jess, arrived five months after we got here, how the Lord enabled us to deal with those expenses, how God has enabled us over the years to buy a house and to have four more kids and raise them, a total of six kids homeschooling all of them for 29 years on one income, how God has worked. Uh, how God provided food and cars along the way, how he's used us in ministry, how we've survived Satan's attacks on our marriage and on our ministry and blessed us with so many blessings in, in many ways over so many years. Plenty of hardships, but we depended on God and we experienced his power. Still do. From time to time you see it. And as I said, this story isn't about us. I mean, I know it's our story, but it's, it's about God and how we found him to be faithful. And you can find him to be faithful too. Just each and every area of your life when you say, okay, what would God have me do here? What does this word say? And maybe you don't know what his word has to say. And maybe your first steps are say, we got to learn what God says. But you make a decision to depend on God you ought to make one big one for your whole life and then keep trying to flesh it out here and there and everywhere and depend on him. Because God is faithful. God is good. 
He'll do what he said he will do. Yeah, and it's not always easy. And by the way, I could, I don't think I will, but I could go back and sit down and think about my life and think about all the times I didn't depend on God. There's plenty of those too. But you can be assured every time I chose not to depend on God, I didn't experience the power of God. But God is so faithful. So what I want to, that's the principle. Get this in your mind, your heart. If you want to experience the power of God, you must choose to depend on God. And where is it that God is challenging you with that today? Is it in a relationship, your marriage relationship? There's something there that you know that God wants you to do differently? You need to depend on him. Is there something when it comes to raising your kids? You know, the way you're raising them, decisions you're making, the things that they're exposed to and how you're responding. Is there something that needs to change there? You need to step out in faith and depend on God. Maybe it's ministry. You know, we talk about attend one, serve one, and maybe you're getting kind of tugged there, but you say, but I don't know how I could do that. Maybe that's where you need to step out and depend on God. You know, maybe it's, it's your career. You know, it just may be that there's somebody here today that God is tugging at your heart and saying, ministry, missions, pass something, right? And maybe you're needing to take a step in, in that direction and depend on God. And it's in your finances, what you're doing with it, what you're not doing with it. Maybe in your giving. You need to step out and depend on God. And it's when you step out and depend on God that you will experience the power of God. Well, he'll test you. He'll let you struggle because he wants to grow you. But I guarantee you, when it has to happen, God will always come through. He always will. And so the first place that this is a reality force in our lives is when we come to Christ, isn't it? We have to choose to depend on God. Say, I can't save myself, my sins. I've separated me from God. Jesus died for my sins and rose again. I'm going to depend on him. And we make that choice by saying, okay, God, I receive Jesus as my Savior. I accept his, his payment for my sin. And we depend on him. And what happens? We experience the power of God because he forgives every sin. Gives us eternal life and he comes to live inside of us and begin working on us from the inside out. That may be your decision today. But whatever it is, you find yourself thinking, well, yeah, maybe I should, but that's the area. That's the area where you need to say, okay, I will depend on God here. And then God, you'll experience his power at work in your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word for the truths that are there. I thank you that you are you and that you are faithful and true and that you love us. You always have our best interests in mind and when you, when you lead us through your word and the promptings of your spirit in our hearts that you're always leading us to a good place and, and to blessing. Father, help us to see that if we will make choices that depend on you that you will always keep your word. And I pray, Father, that you would Stir our hearts and minds and help us have a vision. What would it be like, Father, if, if we as a church were, had continual, ongoing stories of how we chose to rely on you and how you worked? Father, we would be able to lift your name so high. So I ask you to work, Father. Don't give us any peace until we look at our own lives and say, where do I need to depend on you? And then do it. 
I pray it in Jesus' name.